this computer. All right, so we're recording. Welcome to One Album at a Time podcast, 1-A-A-A-T, I just realized, typing this this out. Um, here with Ryan from Hex Records. Is your, What's your last name? Canavan? Canavan, yeah. Canavan, all right, Where's Ryan Canavan. And the cool thing about Ryan Canavan is he actually hand-delivered a vinyl album to my house last week. Uh, and I realized that Hex Records was in Portland, Oregon. So I thought it's time to have him on the show and talk about Hex and one album in particular, but we'll get into that first. Ryan, do you want to talk about where Hex came from and kind of like a quick history of the label? Sure. Uh, so... Uh, to be clear, I, I haven't I haven't always been a Portland resident. Like like most people who live in Portland, I'm not I'm not from here. Um, so the fact that you were surprised by me delivering a record to your place um, sh- shouldn't be. I mean, it's it's okay to be surprised because I, I haven't been here. Uh, I've been here like three years. Okay. Um, but I've been a been a, a big fan of the Northwest in general for a long long time, and I have a lot of connections out here, and I've been visiting out here for years and years prior to, to moving out here. So, um, so I, I grew up uh, and got my start out in um, like the Syracuse, New York area, uh, okay. right, in the, right in the center of New York. And um, that's where all the activities with the label and everything started. So um, it came out of, um, I, I had previously done a, a zine for a long time throughout um, the second half of the 90s uh, called Hanging Like a Hex. Um, and that was, uh, it, it was, I mean, for the time, it was like pretty, a pretty well-known zine. Like it was distributed by some big magazine um, distributors, you know, is was, was all over the place. And I had wanted to branch off and um, start doing like record label stuff, um, but didn't really know where to begin, you know? And, um, at, at some point, uh, this is 1999, um, I was getting ready to put out an issue of my zine and it was, it was, um, it was going to be all over the place. And uh, I was approached by a record label to see about doing like a, like a, um, like a sampler kind of thing, like a seven inch record sampler mm-hmm. with different bands on it. And that would be an insert for the zine so if you bought the zine you got the you got the record too so it'd be like a promotional tool for this label and it also gave me the opportunity to get some hands-on knowledge of like how do i do this you know how do you make a record um so about halfway through that project the label uh just kind of vanished (laughs) they just kind of disappeared and i was kind of left with some of these tracks that bands had contributed and i was like well, screw it, Let, you know, let's just do it. And uh, thankfully, one of the, the bands that was on the comp, um, the singer of that band also had a record label. Um, it was it was actually Nora, this band called Nora. Uh, there's oh, sure. Carl, Scar- Carl from Nora. Scar- yeah, Scar- I've Scar- definitely heard of yeah, that. He yeah. used to run Ferret. Ferret Records, which right. became Good Fight. So he was very helpful, a uh, very nice guy. He was really helpful and just pointing me in the right directions of like, okay, you know, this is the pressing plant that I use. Give them a call. They're really easy to work with. And, you know, it just gave me some pointers. And then, you know, I ended up doing the project and I was like, well, that wasn't, that wasn't so hard. So um, 
so I was like, I can do this. And uh, so I kind of, I kind of kept it up and I ran the zine concurrently, like the zine would come out. And then I started doing record label stuff on the side. And um, at first, you know, I was, I was uh, obviously very picky about the bands that I decided to do stuff with because I, I didn't have a lot of money to work with. So, mm -hmm. so I had to be picky. And uh, so for the first several years, I didn't put out much. Uh, in fact, you know, I've been doing the label now for God, like 21 years. And to this point, I've released uh, over 50 records. But I mean, that works out to like two and a half records a year. So some years I've been really, really productive and put out like five or, you know, maybe like four or five records, which to me is a lot for a one man operation. And other years I've put out like one, you know, so it, it really depends on how active I'm feeling and um, the, the finances available to me and, and all that. So yeah, so the, the, the zine part kind of closed up shop, um, I don't know, early 2000s, I stopped doing the zine, and I still make zines, but I do them like real small, just kind of like once, maybe every year or something, I might throw something together and make like 30 copies and just give them away, but, um, but the zine hanging like a hex stopped and just became hex records, so that's, that's the, the somewhat abbreviated history. That's a great story because I, I also had a record label, but I gave up around 2009. I got to commend you for keeping it going. You've been doing two albums a year. It's a lot of work <clears throat> to do even yeah. one release. I mean, people don't realize what goes in to a release. They think, oh, you're the record label. You just like you just like print the the CDs or print the vinyl right. uh, yeah. and put it together. It's like, no, there's you're actually like a producer you're a designer, you're a copywriter, you're a marketer, you're, you're a developer, you're like a hundred things. There, yeah, there, there is quite a lot that goes into it. I mean, you can choose to like not be terribly active within it. Um, I choose to be because I, I like the process. Some of the process is super boring and repetitive and dumb, but you know, yeah. I, yeah. I enjoy those aspects. And um, uh, on one hand, it's, it's become more difficult because it is harder to sell records uh, than it used to be when I was younger, when people, you know, were more apt to purchase physical media. Um, and on the other hand, it's it's become a little easier, especially since I've moved to Portland, um, because there is a pressing plant right here in Portland. Uh, well, Milwaukee, to be exact. But I mean, I oh. live I live near Milwaukee, so okay. I live on the south end of town, and Milwaukee's just like you know. 10 blocks the other way. And um, so there's a pressing plant in town that makes things very convenient. There's uh, the person who cuts the lacquers that are the basis for how my records are made. He's here in Portland, very cool to work with. Um, the, print, the printing place that I use to print my record covers is not based in Portland, but they have an office in Portland. So, so a lot of the aspects have- um, That's great, have, I've, right yeah, it, yeah it, which makes things very convenient. and gives me a little bit more hands-on uh, control with things, which is great. That's awesome. And, you know, being from Portland as well, there is so much, so much of a creative community, so many good artists as well. Oh my God. But, I know. <laughs> really yeah. Are. But you're, you're also putting stuff out from all over. You just put out uh, a band from Austin called Exhalance. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. actually the record I bought, which is, it seems like it's doing really well. I heard about it from a friend in Chicago john sant who he's known as mute neighbor he does uh graphic design and illustration now 
Okay. Uh, but he had a zine a long time ago called Fine Print Magazine. And uh, he put up like three or four albums. He was like, you have to check these out. One of them was Exhalants. And, you know, I'm from Texas originally, not Portland as well. Okay. I'm from a different place. Like you said, most yeah. people aren't from here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I, so the Austin connection, I was like, that's interesting. And I checked them out and it was a just an incredible release. I really loved it. And yeah. uh, so it's cool to see all these things coming together. Um, you continuing this, you know, working with bands despite a pandemic, putting out releases that seem to be doing well and, uh, you know, continue to make art. It's very encouraging and, and exciting. So I got to, again, I got to commend you, man. This is, you're doing great stuff. It's, it's given me something to work on during a pandemic, <laughs> something to keep <laughs> occupied. And, and strangely enough, and as odd as this may seem, and, and, I'm, and I, I'm, I can't speak for other labels out there. I don't know what their situations are, but um, I've, I've found that uh, people are buying more records during the pandemic. I think, I mean, like, I'd love to just say, well, it's the bands, they're awesome. But, um, but I think, uh, one, I think people want to lend more support to people, you know, to like DIY operations or whatever. So they're, they're kind of um, being more generous. And I think people are also, you know, like bored during a pandemic. Right. So they're like, right. well, you know, maybe I'll buy a record and you know, like, <laughs> check this thing out. And, and they're obviously not buying records at shows because there's no shows happening. And you know, record stores are like, you kind of can go to record stores, you know? Um, so I think that's, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but uh, it's been overall good in terms of me keeping busy and selling records. Like that's, I'm surprised. Just, I just want to say I'm surprised. I'm not, it's not a good thing that there's a pandemic. It's awful, but you know, um, you know, if there's a, uh, a silver lining to anything it's just that me personally I I'm surprised by the and I'm very appreciative of the support that people have um have put forth yeah it, it's true I I find myself buying more records and um and it, it feels like yeah although shows aren't happening other pieces of art are coming out I mean I'm doing this podcast I don't have many yeah. listeners but it's making me want to create stuff I'm playing music again I haven't done that in a while Right. A lot of things are changing like beneath the surface, like stuff just doesn't go away. It just turns into other stuff. Mm. Uh, so hopefully, um, you know, uh, you know, we stay encouraging each other and continuing. So um, I like to keep this podcast short. I don't like hour long sure. podcasts. I feel like I could talk to you for like two, three hours um, about a lot of stuff. Yeah. But um, I want to get into the album for this episode and I'm sure we can do future episodes. Um, this one is Ed Gein. It's a shame that a family can be torn apart by something as simple as a pack of wild dogs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad you know the full title. I pulled it up on Discogs. I actually, from back in the day, 2003, I believe it came out. I, I just had It's a Shame, um, yeah, dot, right. dot, dot, I think, yeah. in my on my computer of my stolen uh, MP3s and uh was obsessed with this release and when i found out about you and that you know obviously I, I knew of this band i was like let's and you had mentioned this was was one to talk about i was like yeah let's talk about this band and this release because okay. it definitely was very impactful at the time um so yeah let's get into it who was ed gein how did you meet this band or or encounter their music um so there are guys who uh like me 
um, grew up in the Syracuse, New York area, although they were from kind of like the middle of nowhere. Like um, Syracuse itself as a city, it's, it's not a big city. It's like a college town. Um, but if you go, you know, like five miles outside of town, you're kind of like in rural uh, area. So, um, so they were from some very rural parts of the region. Um, and, uh, but, you know, if, if they, had, if you were to ask them, oh, where are you guys from? They'd say like Syracuse, you know, cause that's the next mm-hmm. place. So, um, so they're dudes from the middle of nowhere. Um, they were real young and uh, before Ed Gein, they were all, the members were playing out uh, as a band called Beyond Fall. And they were just kind of like a, kind of a techie mosh metal sort of hardcore band. And I think they were like a five piece. And, um, and they were just like these kids who were just like from the middle of nowhere, had nothing to do but learn their instruments and get really good at them. And um, they would play shows in like really weird spots or like at venues that like no one would think to like have a show at. So yeah. like the the primary hardcore punk scene in town were like, who are these guys? Like, what do they think they're yeah. doing? You know, showing up playing at this other place. Like, who do they think they are? Thing is, they were just, you know, working with what they had, you know? So, sure. um, so eventually they kind of got accepted into like, you know, the hardcore scene in general and, and, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't find their music particularly like amazing. I just, I thought they were very good musicians. Um, and then when Beyond Fall kind of stopped being a thing as much, um, three of the members from the final lineup were like, let's keep doing this, but, um, but let's do something like more intense. And that's where Ed Gein was born. So the drummer, uh, Jesse Dano, their guitarist, Graham Reynolds, and Aaron Jenkins, who is the, um, the, the last bass player of Beyond Fall, um, started Ed Gein with the intent that they just wanted to make like the most intense, weird, crazy music that they could. And I know they were definitely influenced early on by like, um, like early daughters and um, trying to think of other bands of that, of that ilk, you know, they were, they were into stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, when I first heard Ed Gein, I was just like, this is crazy people music. Like it's just, there's so many parts and so many changes. And I was like, these guys are like super talented dudes, but none of this music makes sense to me. And one bit, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really like it a whole, I was impressed, but I didn't really like enjoy it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I get that. It's kind of like yeah. when you hear, you know, Dillinger Escape Plan for the first time, you're like, yeah. I don't know if I like this, but I can't believe someone's playing this. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I was quite familiar with that stuff. I, I, I really liked Dillinger Escape Plan. I, I toured with Dillinger Escape Plan. I, I wrote it for them for, oh wow, uh, at one point. Um, so I was, uh, you know, I was very familiar with that style of music. It's just, yeah. Um, so, but uh, immediately upon starting, you know, people were like, oh my God, Ed Gein is nuts. And, you know, the people kind of took to him right away. Um, which was deserved because those guys literally practiced every single day because they had nothing better to do. Sure. <laughs> Being yeah. in the middle of nowhere, you know, just going and right. practice for five hours. Um, so they, they made like a demo tape and then they, they kind of were like, 
they kind of pursued me, you know, like they, uh -huh. they knew I was a guy about town because I, I booked a lot of shows uh, and and I had put out a few records at that point. So they they kind of pursued me. They kind of thought like this is the guy about town knows how to do these things and we want to put stuff out and we want to tour all the time. And um, at first I was kind of hesitant. I was like, oh, you guys are really nice and all that, but I, I don't know. <laughs> and and then uh, they, they, not to say wore me down, but but you know what, I, I just, I guess I, I saw that like they were genuine people, you know, and, and what they were doing was really genuine. So I was like, okay. And so I, I put out, uh, it's like a, like a three song CD and um, it, it like sold out like immediately. It was like gone. I was like, holy shit, these dudes like, <laughs> people really like these guys. So then that's where, um, I was like, okay, well, let's, yeah, let's do this. You guys are serious. Let's go. So they were like, great. We're, you know, we're going to do um, this next thing, which was, uh, it's a shame. And um, so was the three song CD, the demo that they put out or is that new material? Uh, so they had a, a demo tape and then the three song CD, I think the three song CD had one song from the demo tape re-recorded okay. and then two other songs. And then everything that's on, it's a shame is uh, completely new at that point so with the three song you weren't you weren't necessarily like you know this is my favorite music but you saw some potential when you heard it's a shame did you what were your thoughts then when you first heard that i was definitely more involved at that point i, I definitely like gotten on the on the train you know yeah and I was like, yeah. okay and um they recorded uh, with a with a local person in Syracuse that we all were friends with, uh, another young person named Jason Randall, who often goes by the name Jocko, and he had been starting a studio, which he started in like his parents' basement, and he was so knowledgeable. He was like 19 or something. He was super knowledgeable, and um, we really wanted to like lend him support, like, like every band in town wanted to lend him support just because they knew like he was, he was a great guy to go to. So I'd go over to Jocko's parents' house and, you know, um, check out what Egin was working on and as they were recording. And I was like, this is so cool, you know? And, and um, uh, now that studio is, is kind of an institution in uh, Syracuse. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, he, he built it, like he literally bought a building, gutted the entire thing and built the studio inside a building. Uh, so kudos to him. Um, and Edine were just, you know, they were starting to play all the time. They were starting to go on tours and meet other bands and, you know, uh, play shows with those bands and then go on tour with those bands. And they, they were just, you know, they started to just go all in. And, uh, and yeah, the I'd I'd say it's a shame. I can't I can't remember the exact timeline, but I, I I feel like it came together pretty quick. So, so how was compared to the you said the the CD the three song CD sold out very quickly. Mm -hmm. How did it's a shame? How how did that one do for it's you as a label? Berserk. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, to date, it's it's still the record that I've sold the most copies of. Um, okay. Wow. Which, yeah, it's that's it, a pretty big uh, feat. Yeah. 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 Particularly it being fairly early on in the label history. I mean, I think I'd only been doing the label for like three years at that point or something like that. But um, and it was only like the fourth or fifth release I'd put out total. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, to speak of 
like physical records or sold or something that's it's hard to gauge you know with today's mm-hmm. climate because you know how many streams do you count as an album or something like that it's silly but and then you know in the early 2000s i mean you could just sell a ton of cds and like it was you know to sell a, a thousand cds was like yeah whatever not a big deal um uh whereas you know now you're like i sold 200 records and it's like yeah. a benchmark you know yeah so, um <laughs> Yeah. Now you sell six thousand and you make the Billboard top two hundred or something. Right. Yeah. And and I know that um, I only pressed a CD version of "It's a Shame" and I I think I had gone through three pressings, but they were each you know pressings of like a thousand or two thousand. So yeah, well that had to feel good to have this early release selling yeah, super yeah. well, and you know it's commendable. Again, it's like what I love about this story is it's like kind of the town coming together. You know, it's like these guys from out there that, you know, they're practicing all the time. They kind of need guidance. You kind of had this expertise, you're booking shows, you're putting out a zine, you're putting out records. There's this mm-hmm. town guy who's doing, who's building the studio. And it's like this community is coming together and really special stuff. It's like a time capsule when you listen to this album. I mean, for yeah. me, it takes me back to, you know, obviously a long time ago, um, you know, I'm in college, I think, when I hear it for the first time. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it definitely speaks to the time, you know, it has the crazy song titles. Yeah, um, it it's does. got the cover. It's got the, the artwork is very of a time, like the kind yeah. of seven scratchy hand yeah. thing and the nails. And everything. I, there was actually, <laughs> I think the person who told me about this record originally, this guy named John Moreland who he's a pretty well-known country singer now, but at the time he was in, um, you know, kind of uh, grindy kind of uh, hardcore bands like 30 Called Arson and this band called Widow Song and um, just a few different, like very similar Daughtersy Ed Geeny bands, um, you know, 15 second songs, stuff like that. And uh, I think he, one of the albums he did was like on a floppy drive. And so it was all about like packaging and um, playing in weird spots and being very technical and very fast and loud. It def- sure. it takes me back, but I, I just love how all that uh, came together for you um, and was like a best-selling record, which doesn't seem like if you look at what you've put out and, um, you know, look at what other bands have put out, uh, it seems that that it's just kind of uh, really interesting that people, you know, pull that one up again and again. And, it, and listening <laughs> yeah. to it, it's still kind of like is really fun to listen to. There is. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you know, I, I broke it out the other day just to kind of like uh, refresh my memory. Um, there's still like a couple songs on that record that I still listen to like all the time. But I want to listen to the whole thing to kind of, you know, just gauge, you know, like, where is, where is that at? And uh, it's, sometimes I think like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's dated. It's of its time. Like it, you know, it, it must not hold up. But I still yeah. come across people like pretty young who are like, who are into it. So, I mean, that, that means a lot, you know? Um, but I still, yeah, I definitely think there's like, at least like two or three songs on there that are still like oh that that song is awesome you know like it's got like enough parts in it where that just like floor me um and then there's some stuff that i'm like eh, you know i don't know if it if it would uh 
pass muster these days or something, or if people would be into it these days, you know, but I am definitely surprised that it still is, um, is present to a lot of people, which is cool. Because a lot of stuff from that era did not hold up. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you know, back to pulling it out and listening and, and loving the whole thing again and wanting to talk about it. I, there's so much, it's like 99% is just so much I don't want to hear again and I don't want to dig up again. Right. Um, that it really speaks a lot to them and their their practice and hard work making something that's, you know, 20, let's see, uh, 17 years later we're talking yeah. about and uh that's interesting so what is going on with ed gein today I, I i looked some stuff up it seems like they they parted ways a few years ago and are doing a new band or what's what's happening um yeah so so they toured incredibly hard you know like six seven months out of the year for several years wow they uh after it's a shame they put out um a record called Diesel or Judas Goats and Diesel Leaders, which I, I think is awesome. I, I, I think that they don't like it that much, but I think it's I, I think it's my favorite stuff from them. And they did that with a label called Black Market Activities, which was run by sure. yeah. one of the guys from the, the Red Chord, who Red Chord, like, yeah, a popular metal band. So they did um they did that and they toured incredibly hard on that record. And I, I did the vinyl version of that. And then they they took a, a, a hiatus for a little while because uh, a few things, they were kind of burnt out from touring so hard. And um, Jesse, their drummer was starting a business, uh, which I'll get to momentarily. And um, he wanted to get that off the ground. And then they came back, they did another full length on black market called Bad Luck, uh, which they didn't, they didn't tour for. They just kind of, and it was way more of like a punk record. Like they toned down the technicality and, just went for like very, very fast punk. And then they, uh, they sat on that for a while. And then in uh, a few years ago, like four years ago, they did one last record, which I put out and it was a double seven inch. Uh, Cause they just had like a handful of songs and they just wanted to get them out. And then they're like, you know, we're going to play like one or two shows on this, right? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Let's just do something fun. So we did a double seven inch and that was called Smoked. And that came out. And they stopped and, um, you know, formally stopped. And um, uh, Aaron, the bass player, he had a, he had started his own business with a screen printing business. It's called Black Arts Studio. Okay. Um, and that's doing really well. He's, he's like a one man screen printing operation and he does, you know, shirts and all sorts of stuff for all sorts of people. And he's really good at it. And uh, Jesse owns and operates a business called Recess Coffee. Uh, they're a coffee roaster. They got like three shops now in the Syracuse area. And they do like a wholesale roasting business for places all over the Northeast. So they're really successful. And then they hired, um, Recess hired on Graham, the guitar player, uh, as the head roaster. <laughs> So Jesse oh, wow. and Graham work together. The family uh, business now. Yeah, and then Aaron does the screen printing for them whenever they need like shirts or mugs or you know whatever. So they're also that's working cool. together. And see, uh, that's great. You're back. Well, now we're back to the Syracuse community coming together. Yeah, it now. is. We it, got the coffee. Okay. When you brought that up, the community thing, I'm like, they're still doing the community thing. That's um, great. So yeah, and then the the three Ed Gein guys, uh, Aaron, Jesse, and Graham, um, they have a new band, new ish at this point, uh, a newish band. It's the three of them, 
plus uh, a fellow named Jay Bailey, who was in a band called Architect in Syracuse. A very, yep. Yeah, met, Definitely heard of them. Yeah. Band, um, along with like several other bands. Uh, they joined up with this guy, Jay, and then uh, a fellow named Steve Sidoni, who is the singer of Breather Resist, if you remember Breather Resist out of Louisville. Sure. Yeah. Um, all five of them, Steve lives in Louisville, the rest of the guys live in Syracuse, and they do a band called Shadow Snakes, which is, um, it's, it's less, it's less technical than Ed Gein. It's more like on kind of like a chunky, sort of unsane sort of tip. Gotcha. Um, and it's it's just a project band. I mean, they've they've recorded two EPs and they're both okay. really good. I think I think they're fun. So um, yeah, those guys are still plugging away. I I, I loved for a period. Uh, both Graham and Jesse lived with me, so it was great having them as housemates for a while uh, because they were on tour half the time um, and still paying their rent, which was nice. Um, I've been in bands that have shared band rooms with them. I mean, I uh-huh. I love I love. I've known them for so long and I'm, and I'm always like really excited about whatever it is that they're doing, you know, because they're always doing cool stuff. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, they're just, they're good friends. So, um, yeah. So that, that's their story these days. That's great, man. That's good to hear that everyone's sticking together and continuing to help out Syracuse community. Um, Final thoughts before we go, because we're kind of at time. Um, you want to talk about your latest releases and just like plug Hex Records and, and where you can buy stuff and listen to stuff? Um, sure. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's between that's a theme and what I'm doing. Um, but uh, recently, uh, this year, I've, I've released records from Gayfist, who are from here in Portland. Uh, yeah, sure. Vancouver, technically, but Portland. Uh, great guys, great band. Um, mentioned previously, uh, earlier. I have done a second LP from um, Britain called USA Nails. Um, very kind of post-punk noise rock kind of band, really cool. And I'm about to release an LP for a band from Buffalo, New York called Alpha Hopper, which is like very kind of bratty, snotty, weird post-punk stuff. Um, and yeah, you can hear all that stuff um, on hexrecords.bandcamp. Um, if you're like outside of the US, uh, you can get my records through um, mvdshop.com, music video distributors. They're a good company to, to work with and they've gotten my records out all over the place so um that's helpful and uh i I'm, i don't know i'm just happy to do the label i'm happy that people take an interest in in the label both past and present and um yeah i, I don't know what else to, <laughs> to say about it but it, but, it, but it's fun to do and I'll, I'll be kind of trying to throw a couple more surprise things before the end of the year if i can awesome good to hear man great to talk to you uh, yeah, Ryan, Ryan from Hex Records. Um, check them out on Bandcamp. Order the new Exhalance. Order the USA Nails. Order all his records. Um, buy him out so he can make more stuff. Uh, and yeah, excited to see what comes out between now and the end of the year. Um, yeah, thanks for chatting, man. Really appreciate your time. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.